Amen. We believe. Come on, if you're in the chat right now, go ahead and type that. We believe. We believe. I'm so glad that you're tuning in. Uh, If you haven't yet, why don't you uh, take a minute, uh, settle everything in your environment, grab a copy of your scripture. um, And if you've got a a paper copy of the Bible, grab it there in your home. uh, And uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 16 here in just a minute. Uh, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Today, We're going to look at the phrase in the Nicene Creed that says this, we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And uh, today, the message that I'm bringing to you is entitled this, Strong Studs and Stacking Stones. Come on, find the best emoji you can, Strong Studs and Stacking Stones. And uh, we're we're going to get into the word uh, today, uh, I am not a huge fan of um, kind of construction, remodeling, like it is not my lane that I run in. Uh, I don't really look for remodeling products, projects. I don't, I don't wake up uh, on a Saturday and be like, all right, what can I tear up and rebuild today? But uh, what I do really like is tools. I love tools, power tools. I don't know why. I don't really know how to use them, but I like them. I like having them. And I think it's interesting. Uh, I think we could have all of the tools that we want. I could have all the tools that we want. Uh, But if I really wanted to to build something or remodel something, it's going to be super important that I know where the load-bearing walls are and where the foundation is. Like if you don't have something solid, then you don't have anything to build on. If you're, you're, you're going to go just start tearing out walls in your home, you could have all of the right tools to tear those walls out. But to be honest, if you, um, if you don't know which walls have the load-bearing walls, the strong studs in them, you're going to create a lot of damage in, in our lives. And uh, for the last five weeks, we've been in a collection of sermons that we've been calling Roots. And what we've really been doing is looking at what the load-bearing walls are of the Christian faith, of our faith. What, is, what are the, the truths and the beliefs and the creeds and the doctrines that have the weight of uh, truth in them? What are the things that we can load up with all of our lives and, and they can carry the burden and the weight of, of the things that we really believe. And, and that's what we've been examining and what we've been looking at. And, and today I want to continue right in this same uh, line of thinking. And we're going to look at a, a part of the, the, the Nicene Creed uh, that talks about the church, the body of Christ. And I believe that as we do today, we're going to begin to understand a few key things. Now, uh, for many of you that, uh, like me, grew up in kind of a, uh, whether it be a Pentecostal or even in evangelistic, uh, evangelical church, um, when you see the word Catholic, you're, you're like, um, wait a second, hold on. I thought that there were some differences there. What, what are we saying? What are we not saying? And so there are several words today, the three in particular that we're going to look at in the Nicene Creed. Uh, and I don't want you to get tripped up on those things. I'm going to explain them. We're going to walk through it. We're going to look at the Greek uh, behind a lot of these words. So I was telling the team today, we're going to get a little Greeky today. We're getting Greeky with it. So right there in the chat, you just settle in and tell them we're getting Greeky with it today. Uh, but I want to first start by looking at the words of Jesus. See, because what Jesus taught is what the apostles began to teach, their doctrine. It it would later, they would formalize it in a real official way known as the Apostles' Creed. 
And it was the Apostles' Creed that a century, a couple centuries later, that they would come together um, and form the Nicene Creed. So the Apostles' Creed was a little simpler, uh, a little more uh, concise. And the Nicene Creed took what the Apostles' Creed was and kind of put a few more details into them so that there would be a little bit more clarity behind what followers of Jesus need to hold to as uh, the truths of what we believe, the roots of our faith, that we can allow the strength of life to be hung on the, 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 the load-bearing walls, if you will. But I want to look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, Starting in verse 15, it says this, it says, um, but what about you? Jesus was asking his disciples a question. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, well, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus then replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Come on, it's the foundation. Understanding who Jesus is is the foundation of being a follower of Jesus. It's the foundation of the church. It's centered on Jesus. And he says, on this revelation of who the Son of God is, the Son of Man is, who I am, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus said he would build his church. Now, that word church in the Greek is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia, it literally means this, a calling out, an assembly, meeting of assembly, assembly of Christians in one city or community. What Jesus was saying was, I'm going to build my church. And wherever there is a group of people who have had a revelation of who the Son of God is and choose to leave the cultural norms for a moment and calls themselves away to a gathering. They leave the, the distractions. They're, they're leaving the things that culture would normally do on a day like today. And they're going to say, we're going to leave those things. We're going to push pause on what is culturally normal right now and gather and assemble together. Jesus said, that's my church. Th those are my people. That's my church. Those of us who have a revelation of who God is. And so Jesus was saying, and, and this word church literally means just simply this, church is a gathering. Church is not a building, and this might shock you, but you aren't church. Church is not a gathering, and church is not an individual. The actual definition of church is a gathering of people who are committed to following Jesus. It's a gathering of a group of people. It's not you on a fishing boat on a Sunday morning uh, listening to worship music. That's not church. Church, by definition, is a gathering of the people of God to glorify God. You know, now, on the flip side, today, we, we, we might say something like, oh, there's a beige church on the corner of Main Street. But when the Bible speaks of the church in Ephesus, it's actually referring to the congregation of Christian believers 
who live in Ephesus. In other words, he's speaking, uh, when, when Paul's writing about the church in Ephesus, he's actually talking about the, the multiple gatherings that would take place in the city of Ephesus. Now, inasmuch as no church buildings were actually built until the third century, there's no word that was coined to refer to one. In other words, it wasn't until the third century that there were buildings large enough for the church to come together in. Um, but when the church buildings were built, there was a different word, and that was the Greek word kuriaki, K-U-R-I-A-K-E, kuriaki, meaning the Lord's house. So until the third century, there were no buildings that they could gather in, large enough to handle. And so uh, until that time, until that moment in time, uh, there were no other buildings. But when they did finally start meeting in buildings, they referred to it as the Lord's house. Now, again, on the other hand, to use the word church to describe the building and the congregation it's a natural development. It's not wrong. It's not a sin. You don't need to be the word police correcting people when they say church is not a building or church is a building or we are the church. You are that. You don't need to like go around correcting people. Let's not get legalistic and like become the word police for what church is. No, let's just remember that it's a natural progression to call both the church and the gathering the church. It's really oh. Okay. In fact, calling the building a church is a figure of speech called a metonymy. A metonymy. M-E-T-O-N-Y-M-Y. I told you we getting Greeky today. We getting a little Greeky with it today. Now, that's just a figure of speech called uh, a metonymy, which, which simply is this. The container put for the contents. This same figure of speech is used later in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, when Paul writes and he says, um, he says this, for as often as you drink the cup. Well, you don't actually drink the cup. Like I've got my coffee cup right here. It's full of water. I'm not actually drinking the cup. I'm drinking what's in the cup. I'm drinking the contents of the cup. So when Paul says, when you drink the cup, referring to what we do with the communion and the Lord's Supper, he's not saying you actually drink and inhale a cup. No, you're drinking what's in the cup. In the same way, when we talk about the church, we're not really talking about the building. It's the, 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 the building is the container for the gathering of the people of God who have had a revelation of who Jesus is. It's just a figure of speech, and it's okay to refer to it as that because the church is a gathering. In fact, when the church started, day one of the church, it's recorded in Acts chapter 2. Uh, let's look at the scripture. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 43. Let me give you the Reader Digest version of what's happened up to this up to this point. See, up to this point, they had the disciples, uh, Jesus had ascended, he's up in heaven. They were gathered in the upper room. The Holy Spirit fell. Peter uh, recognized and was emboldened to proclaim the good news of Jesus. He left uh, the upper room where they were at. There was a gathering, a bunch of people. He preached this amazing message. It was a little long-winded, but he preached the gospel. And immediately, people began to give their lives to Jesus. And that's what we pick up the story. Acts chapter 2 says this. And those who accepted this message that Peter was saying and was baptized, about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Right now, we are all together. We all have something in common. The commonality is we have to stay home and not meet in large numbers. We all have to meet in small numbers. We, we can't gather with more than 10 people in one place, social distancing. We all have that in common. It's true. Like, we're all meeting together. We have those things in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day, check this out, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church on day one started as a gathering. They gathered locally wherever and however they could. They met in homes. They met in the temple. They gathered outside. They gathered inside. They met wherever possible. I know a lot of times we like to talk about the early church, and, they, and we like to say, well, the church only met in houses, and they, they always had a meal together, and they did it this way. Listen, the mission of the church has always been the same to present Jesus to a lost and dying world, to take the good news everywhere you can, to gather and be strengthened. It's, it's this idea of receiving salvation, strengthening the believers, and being sent out on mission. That's what the church was all about. Now, but in the early, early church, they didn't actually have buildings big enough. Remember, they, buildings like church buildings didn't come into existence until the third and the, and the fourth century. It didn't, it didn't exist yet. It wasn't that they only wanted to meet in small homes or they only wanted to meet here. No, they met however they could. In fact, I think it's interesting. Uh, the local church actually met every single day. They met and gathered every day. They were the originators. From day one, the church had multiple services. Think about it. Like, they didn't just have one service. They had multiple services. They didn't just meet in large groups. They met in small groups. They didn't just meet in small groups. They met in large groups. From day one, the church was over 3,000 people. Like, we don't even have a building in Fort Scott big enough to hold 3,000 people. No single building big enough today in the year 2020 in our town to hold as many people as were a part of the church on day one. The church is always about a gathering place. And when we gather, we help bring faith to life. It's what we do. You know, we, we're, in a, we're in a season where uh, we, we keep trying to find new ways to say it. Like, hey, we understand COVID-19 is happening, but church isn't canceled. Because it's true, church isn't a building, but it is a gathering. And we're going to gather any way possible. And right now, we're gathering online streaming into your homes. Now as uh, regulations have, have started to loosen uh, we're, we, and we can start gathering a little bit more, we, we as a church here locally, Faith Church, we, we've already begun to have our connect groups begin to meet more in person as they are comfortable and as they are able to do so in a, in a safe way. Um, and, and, and to be honest, for the next four weeks, uh, our plan as a church is to continue to meet online together. For the next four weeks, for sure, we know we're going to continue to meet online. But we're, but we're starting something for the next four weeks that we're calling 
house parties. Uh, we, we wanted to start something similar to this right at the beginning of COVID-19, but within a week, that was taken off the plate because we couldn't even gather in groups of 10. The stay-at-home order was almost immediate for us here in our state. But we want to start something called house parties. House parties, uh, in fact, there's a couple going on today. I know there's one going on in my house right now. My, my wife has a few folks over, and they're enjoying today's message online together. And, and what we're wanting to do with these house parties, and in fact, we want to invite you to consider hosting a house party, and that's simply this. On Sunday, pick one of our service times, 9.30 or 11. Invite some friends, maybe some family over. Do it as safely and as uh, your home would allow to meet together, and as you meet together, stream today's service or stream the Sunday message, worship together, maybe have some uh, snacks there, maybe do brunch right after or right before. And when the service is over, don't just hurry home. Take a minute and just talk about what did, what did God say to you today? And just talk about the Sunday experience. Pray together and then go. This is how we can meet today. There's a lot of things we can't do right now, but we can do this. And the church from day one has always found a way to meet in some way, whatever way they could, because of whatever realities or constraints they were facing or persecution, they found a way to assemble and gather. Why? Because the church isn't you individually and the church isn't a building. It's when we come together. Some of you might be like, I I'd like to host one of those, or I'd like to attend a house party. You can go to our central hub and find more information. And we're asking for the next four weeks that if you're a part of Faith Church, that you look for an opportunity to either host or attend a house party. Why? Because we have the ability right now in our current reality to do that. So let's, let's do that. And as we gather and assemble in whatever number we can, man, we're going to bring faith to life. It's what, we, it's what we do. Now, in the Nicene Creed, there are really four words used to describe and help us articulate what is, what is church. Let me walk through these four with you today as a bit of an outline. Number one, the word is holy. The word holy is defined in the dictionary as specially recognized or is declared sacred or set apart, consecrated, devoted to the service of God, the church, or a religion. Having a spiritually pure quality, entitled to worship or veneration as sacred. Peter the Apostle says it like this in reference to you and I and the gathering of the believers. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. He says, as you come to him, being Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected, he's become the, the cornerstone, the main foundation. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The church, it's a holy gathering. 
The people of God is a holy, special, sacred, blessed thing of the Lord. And Jesus himself is the key stacking stone on which we build everything. In other words, Jesus is the foundation that allows everything built, you and I, on top of him to be counted as holy. He is holy, therefore we've been declared holy because of our faith in him. So here's, here's what that means. It's not only holy, and so what they're trying to get us to understand in the Nicene Creed is simply this. Church is a holy habit. Church is a holy habit. Hebrews chapter 10 says, don't forsake gathering together. Don't stop gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but gather as much as you can as you see the day of the Lord approaching. The reality is this, going and gathering as a body and scattering as a body are both habits. Attending and being a part and gathering with the people of God is a holy habit. Habits are something you control. You get to set the pattern in your life. It's a practice. It's a pattern. It's a habit. And at the end of the day, you might be sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't know if the church is something that, that's for me. I don't, I don't know. I don't fit in. I'm not really religious. I, I've never believed that way. I've never really thought that way. I've got, I've got kind of a long list of things. I'm like, man, if they knew what I did on Saturday night, I don't think I could ever assemble with people. I don't think I fit to that holy priesthood, royal people. Hey, listen, let me tell you. You belong here. You are welcome among the people of God as we experience Jesus, as we learn of who he is and we understand the revelation of Jesus. It is a holy gathering and we who put our faith in Jesus are a holy people, not because of our behavior, but because of our belief in Jesus. Therefore, you and I, we belong here and we belong here. Together, it is, it's holy. Number two, simply this, Catholic. Catholic. Now, when you look in the dictionary, the word Catholic is defined as this. Universal in extent, involving all, of interest to all, pertaining to the whole Christian body or church. There are many Christian or evangelical churches that recite or say or even study and memorize the Nicene Creed. And for many of them, they will change the word Catholic to Christian. And that's an understood word. I, I, can, I can accept that. Uh, but it's not actually uh, a, the best definition for it. In fact, uh, the word Catholic comes from the Greek word katholikos. The Greek word katholikos, which simply means whole or universal. In other words, what the Nicene Creed is saying is that we believe in a holy, holistic, complete, full, global, all believers, past, present, and those yet to join the movement of Jesus, they all together are the church. We, we don't believe that we're better today than they were yesterday or that those in the future are going to be better than we are today. It's not a comparison thing. It's rather a complementary thing. It's not about the distinctions. It's about the, the, the decision to walk in unity. So when it says we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, what are we saying? We're saying that we believe that the church is bigger than just one location. 
It's bigger than just a couple individuals. It's bigger than just one set of values. It's, it's, it's global in its representation and global in its participation. Now, now I want you to understand, there is a, a, a category and a group. You, you could say that there is a denomination, a movement of people um, that would call themselves followers of Jesus that is known as officially the Catholic Church with its roots in the Roman Catholic Church. But before the, the Catholic Church ever got its start, the Nicene Creed was predated and written before the Catholic Church really began in what you would know of it and what I would know of it really as, as today. In fact, these teachings and this understanding, they were using this word to talk about the whole and the universal. See, the church started in Jerusalem. But it wasn't meant to stay in Jerusalem. And so by this point, when the Nicene Creed was written in, 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 in the early 4th century, it was written, and it wasn't just a local couple cities and regions movement. It was a global realization. It had spread so far that it wasn't just, they wanted to make sure that we weren't, they weren't just talking about the church in Rome or the church here or the church in this space, but talking about the global Church, that we have brothers and sisters everywhere. Here's, here's what I want us to understand is this, that church, it is not perfect. Even though when we talk about the church, we're talking about the global, the whole, the universal past, present, and future set of believers. Man, the church isn't perfect. And, and maybe you grew up in a, a denomination or a, 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 a pattern of worship that Man, you felt was really legalistic. You really felt uh, maybe even hurt and injured by it. Maybe, maybe there are some wounds and some things that really, man, have left you like with a bad taste in your mouth for the things of God. Can I just tell you, church isn't perfect. Our church, as much as I love Faith Church, we're, we're not perfect. Why? Because there, it's made up of people who are imperfect trying to serve and emulate a perfect Savior. And we are imperfect at it. You know, in fact, uh, Acts chapter 2, the whole church began. And just four chapters later in Acts chapter 6, guess what? A fight and an argument breaks out. They started having a disagreement. The early church, the ones that we always say, ah, oh, the early church, let's get back to that. Listen, they had disagreements too. They begin to argue in, in Acts chapter 6, this disagreement breaks out. It wasn't an argument about the mission of the church. Hear me. It was a disagreement about the best method to accomplish the mission. In fact, there was a, a set of believers, uh, the Hellenic Jews, they were feeling mistreated and second class in terms of uh, how the food was being distributed. They were feel like they were being overlooked. And so even from the very beginning, the church has had a little bit of dysfunction in it and to it because church isn't perfect. Listen, every organism still requires order. And so the early church, with, when they were faced with this disagreement, you know what they did? They said, let's find some leaders who can bring order to this disorder. Their, their solution wasn't to stop meeting, to leave, to leave the gatherings all together and say, forget it. Let's all just split and go our, our separate ways. No, they said, let's find leaders who are anointed, who are called by God, and bring us together and help them move, help us move forward. See, the church always was in need of leaders who were clear on the message, unified in the mission, and supportive to the methods. That's what it looked like to be a part of a local church. Many of you are watching this and uh, when 
before COVID-19, you were worshiping with a different congregation. You, you attended and were a part of another body of, of believers. And you've been tuning in, and, and we're so glad that you are. But when this thing moves forward, I, I, I want to encourage you, wherever God is asking you to be a part, whatever church that is, choose to be a supportive member of it. It's not a perfect place, but it's a good place. I believe that the church has local expressions to them. There are local churches that have expressions with distinctions, not divisions. Different churches that are distinct doesn't mean that they are divisive. It was such a joy on Easter to gather with three other churches and to work together to celebrate Easter in a fun way. There are distinctions between each of those four churches that we're a part. All four of our churches are different. We have distinctions. But you know what we we refuse to have is divisions. Divisiveness is a spirit. It's an attitude. It's something that the devil uses to, to, to bring division and divisiveness. But having distinctions, that doesn't mean that there's divisions. That's why it's not necessarily wrong that there are denominations of churches, I believe. Because denominations are just our way of categorizing what are the distinctions. But we have to recognize that it is about the local global church of Jesus Christ. Church isn't perfect. In fact, in Romans 16, Paul is listing out, say hello to this person and this leader and this overseer and this person. And they believe that, that many theologians believe that Paul was referencing many different local churches in one community of Rome. So local churches have always been, there are always going to be local expressions of the body of Christ. Number, number three, apostolic. Apostolic. Now, this comes from the Greek word apostolos, which just means sent on mission or a messenger. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gathers his followers and he came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Acts chapter 1 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my messengers. You will be my truth representatives in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This word apostolic just means that we are called to be sent. So what is the church? The church is holy. What does that mean? It means that we've been saved by Jesus. The church is is Catholic, it's universal, it's whole, it's strengthened upon the teachings of Jesus, but then it is apostolic. It is sent on mission to represent Jesus everywhere we go. We are called to be sent into our communities, sent into the, the workplace, sent to be representatives of the revelation of the love of God. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be sent. The church is always not just about gathering, but it's also about scattering. It's about gathering, and it's about scattering. It's about gathering, and it's about scattering. It is apostolic. It is holy. We believe that the church is holy. We believe that it's Catholic. It's whole. It's universal. It's global, if you will. And it's apostolic. It is sent. There's a purpose. There's a mission there is a, a, an element, a participation that we all have, and that is the church. We believe in the holy, Catholic, apostolic church. 
Jesus' church. Jesus' church. In Matthew 16, where we started today, when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, the emphasis wasn't really about church. The emphasis was about my. Why? Because church, it's Jesus's. Jesus is the head of the church, the global body of Christ. He's the head. He's the one in charge. He's the gardener that places the plants in the right greenhouse. He's the big cornerstone we are building on. It's all about him. Jesus is the strong stud and the stacking stone upon which we gather, are strengthened, are found, and are sent out. It's all about Jesus And he says, whatever, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Here's all I'm trying to say today, friends, is this, is that you and I are invited to be members of Jesus' church as we assemble to pray, to partner, and to present Jesus to our world. Faith Church is a local expression. We don't have official what many churches would call church membership here at Faith Church. I believe if we're going to talk about being members, we're going to talk about being members of the global body of Christ. But as a local church, we do have a process and an opportunity for people to become partners in this local expression of the global body of Christ where we see people get saved strengthened in their faith, and where together we are sent out to rescue and bring faith to life. Jesus is inviting us to pray, to partner, and to present him. Pray. I think prayer is one of the most holy things that we get to do as the people of God. Pray. We pray. You pray. This whole idea of binding and loosing, you know what that is? That's the act of prayer. To bind something would be to say, God, we we don't want this to exist in our world. It doesn't exist in heaven. Let's not let it exist here. So we bind COVID-19. We're taking authority. We're saying, no, Jesus, you gave us the same authority. And so we don't want to allow these atrocities. We don't want to allow depression and anxiety. We don't want to allow pain and heartache. God, bring the good things. Lord, would you loose your love? Would you loose your peace? Would you loose your joy in our lives? Prayer is this part, this active participation that we have, a holy act. Pete Grigg, who is uh, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement in London, he says this. He says, in prayer, I'm not simply hoping to be heard by a distant and disinterested God. Instead, the King of Kings requests my presence at the very seat of government. He offers me a permanent place on his executive team so that I can influence his actions on behalf of nations. We believe in a holy church. One of the most holy priestly things that you can do is pray for other people, to bind and loose, to pray the kingdom of God to be be existed and experienced in other people's lives. We get to pray. You get to pray. If you've never prayed before and you are a follower of Jesus, it's as simple as having a conversation. You let words come out of your mouth directed to God, and it's called prayer. It's not complicated. It's not about using the right words and all the Christian jargon. 
It's about prayer. It's about you talking to God. Church, hear me. Prayer is not just the last thing that we do. It ought to be the forefront of everything that we do. It's the holy partic- it's our holy priestly duty to go before God and to pray, to talk to him. Your kids are struggling with something. Talk to God about it. You have struggles in your marriage. Talk to God about it. Don't just ask for prayer and don't just worry about it and don't just post about the things that are going on in the world. Pray about the things and bring heaven down to earth. We get the holy priestly opportunity. Every believer can pray. So we pray, but we also partner. Partner is where we really begin to build. It's the it's the using the tools together to help us grow. As a church, we, we want to help you become a disciple. We want to build your faith. When we gather together online and in person and when we read the word and we talk about it in, in, in our connect groups, you know what's happening? We are strengthening the foundation of our faith. We are strengthening the roots systems of our lives This idea of being a partner is this idea to be planted so that you can flourish. And in being planted, you can help others flourish. Psalms tells us that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. See, when you assemble with the body of Christ in the local church that God has planted you in, you not only begin to flourish, but in your being there and participating and partnering, you actually are helping others to flourish as well. We get to gather and partner together. It's a blessed partnership. Now in Acts chapter 2 when we read how they broke bread and they had fellowship together, that word fellowship is a unique word. It's the word koinonia in Greek. Now when I hear the word fellowship, I I don't know about you, I I think about like church social gatherings. I think about potlucks in the fellowship hall of a church. I think about like standing around with other believers and just talking and getting to know each other and building friendship and relationship. But you know, that's not actually what that word koinonia, that we would use the word fellowship actually means. A better translation for the word fellowship is the word partnership. A better translation for the Greek word koinonia is the word partnership. It's an active unity and common union where you come together and partner with each other. When Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, oh, thank you for partnering with me to to bring the gospel here. Thank you for the fellowship that you've sent me. What's he talking? He's talking about your prayers. He's talking about your their finances. He's talking about the hard work, the sweat equity that they put in to making the church happen. It's when you serve somebody else. It's when you get on board with the mission of your local body. When when we choose to be a partner together, that's when fellowship occurs. There's something that flourishes in us. It's not just shooting the breeze and having snacks. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is when we really partner together. Nobel Peace Prize winner Desmond Tutu once said, For whatever reason, since humankind showed up on the scene, God does nothing without a human partner. What does the church do? The church prays. The church partners together. And finally, the church presents Jesus to their world. The revelation of Jesus is what brings faith to life. And whenever you go out 
from the assembly, as soon as you click offline today, you are going out into the world. And as believers, as the body of Christ, as the holy Catholic and apostolic church, you are sent on mission to present Jesus. When you're in line to get your barbecue today, you get to present Jesus. When you're hanging out in the park today, you're presenting Jesus. When you're uh, spending time with your kids later today playing board games, you're presenting Jesus. When you hop on a Zoom call on Monday with all your colleagues, you're presenting Jesus. It doesn't mean you get preachy. It means that you represent Jesus in every way, the spirit and the revelation of him. Sometimes it's sharing this message with somebody else. You're presenting Jesus on your social platforms. There's an opportunity as the church. We pray, we partner, and we present Jesus. That's what the global church has done from day one. That's what Jesus is building. That's what we do at Faith Church. And I believe every other church that honors God does those same things in their own unique ways. And God is glorified. His name is spread. And people are brought in. They are saved. They assemble together and are strengthened. And then we are sent out to do it all again. Church, we believe that we are a holy people. We believe that we are a global representation, but we are also a local expression with some distinctions, but no divisions. And we are apostolic as a people sent to present and proclaim Jesus wherever we go. That's what we believe about the church. You can pray. You can partner. You can host a house party. You can present Jesus. You can invite somebody to join you this next week to, to, to watch the live stream and to share it in their home wherever they're at. You can pray with somebody else. We get to be the church together as we pray, as we partner, and as we present Jesus. We have a strong church here at Faith Church because we're building it on Jesus. The stud, he is the main stacking stone. He's the one that we can hang all of our brokenness and all of our failures on. It's him. He's the strong stud. He's the stacking stone that we together are being fit and built upon stone upon stone, stacking stone upon stacking stone, built on him. Friends, if you've been building your life on anything other than Jesus, it may crumble. You, you, you may be building your life on something other than the person of Jesus. You may be building it on your good deeds. You may be building it on some religious exercise and a list of things to do. No, Jesus is a person, and he wants to get personal with you. And when you answer the question that the disciples had to answer, who do you say I am? When you answer that question about Jesus, and you put your faith in him, and you surrender your life to him, you know what? You get to be a part of the family of God too. You get to be a part of the holy, royal priesthood, a peculiar people, God's special people who are called out, who are global in scope, and who have a purpose to bring glory to his name in everything that we say and everything that we do. Would you bow your heads with me? Right there, just take a moment in your home. If you're here and you're watching this and you're in the sound of my voice and Man, you don't know Jesus. You, you are building your life on something other than who Jesus is. Today is your day to say, I want to follow Jesus. 
if you're here and, and you're listening and watching this in whatever platform and whatever way and you want to give your life to Jesus, would you just right now type the words, I believe in Jesus? And we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. You can type it right there. Just say, I believe in Jesus. And that's just letting us know that you're going to begin to follow him. You're making a, co a commitment, a, a surrender publicly to say, I'm going after Jesus. I'm going to build my life on Jesus. He's the center stud. He's the stacking stone of my faith. faith. Let's all pray this out loud together. Just say simply, Father God, thank you for sending Jesus for me. I confess that I'm a sinner in need of saving. I put my faith in Jesus, what he did at the cross. I believe that he's the son of God, raised to life for me. Thank you for saving me and bringing me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we love you. Thanks for tuning in. Take a, take a quick uh, listen to some next steps for you today. We love you. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.